America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Duluth Candy Company. Welcome to the Duluth Candy Company, the sweetest spot on Superior Street, specializing in gourmet popcorn and exquisite handmade chocolates. You will discover the perfect treats and stocking stuffers for all your holiday needs. Duluth Candy Company has double-dipped hot chocolate bombs, holiday truffles, candied popcorn, and unique gift packs. Whether it's for friends, family, co-workers, or clients, we have what you need to make your holidays sweet. Hey everybody, Tom Sega from Duluth Pack, and this is the Duluth Pack podcast, Leader of the Pack. Our leader of the pack today is a longtime friend of mine. He is the National Sales Manager for Walmart and Sporting Goods Division at Lodge Manufacturing. Many of you have heard of Lodge Cookware, and this is the guy, we're going to learn all about it. Mike Fisher, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here today. It's great to have you. I'm, I'm excited. And, you know, I I know you and I know your story and it's really intriguing. And you and I joke all the time that, that you know, you make uh, cast iron cookware. I make canvas and leather bags. Geez, what, you know, I, I'm lower tech than you. No, I'm lower tech than you. But it's it's pretty darn intriguing when when you see that, hey, these are things that we use every day and, and what you do and what you sell is just really cool and and how many people have just hung on to that so let's learn the story and learn all about you and also lodge and your journey to get to be national sales manager mike so let's go all the way back to the beginning where the heck did you grow up what was your childhood like oh well i grew up in a uh, small town in western pennsylvania called knox pennsylvania and most people probably have never heard of Knox, Pennsylvania. It's a small town of about 1,100 people. It would set right in between Pittsburgh and Erie, right off of uh, I-80. So it's, it's a small town. It was I grew up on the farm outside of town, so it wasn't really even in the town. But uh, yeah, grew up on a grew up on a farm. What kind of farm? Um, well, my dad had a dairy farm equipment business, and so he had. Um, about 30 beef cows that we kept around, and then he sold milking equipment, silo and loaders, et cetera. And then my grandfather had a dairy farm where we milked about 80 uh, uh, Holsteins. And that's probably where I spent most of my time growing up, you know, thinking back about my childhood. I had, I mean, it was a normal childhood. I had two parents, um, both still married, both still alive. Um, that was great. But uh, I enjoyed uh I enjoyed working on the farm. You know, dad and I were an awful lot alike, both a little bit stubborn. So probably did a little better working for my dad or for my granddad than my uh, my dad directly. So, um, you know, my kids ask me sometimes, uh, dad, when did you start working? And I, I think back and I don't really ever remember a time when it didn't work. Because um, when you're on a farm, it's, you know, that's pretty important. But we also kept family important. Um each year, um, we took a, a small three, four day vacation. We didn't have a lot of money, but we, we, we cut out time to do that um, and hunting. And every year at hunting season, we always hunted together. And that was a big, important part of my childhood and still is today. Um, strange little fact, um, 
in Pennsylvania, and I think they still do this, the first day of deer season, you don't have school because nobody shows up. So um, that was always weird. When I went off to college, somebody said, you had the first day of deer season off? I'm like, oh, yeah. So they're like, man, you must really live in a rural area. But yeah, we did. So uh, between that, um, we also spent a lot of time serving at our local church. I thought that was, you know, a pretty good way to, to, to grow up. So, you know, some great lessons learned. Be thankful for what I have. Um, work hard every day and uh, help others when you need it. Well, tell us a little bit about working on your grandfather's farm. And, and for, for us people who've never been on a farm, what it's like to grow up where, where you have chores to do. You, you have, you said these were milk cows, Holsteins. Tell us a little bit about that. And you said you, you, you don't ever remember not working. So what was it like as a, as a youth and what, what chores were you even allowed to do? We were, we were allowed to do most any, any type of chores on the farm. I mean, you always fed the cows. Um, you know, there was a couple of times my dad had to take business trips and I probably was uh, eight, nine years old and I'd stay at my grandmother's house. Um, that was just across the field from where our place was. And I'd have to go up in the middle of the night or, you know, early in the morning before school and feed the cows. And, you know, when I got a little older, I would jump on my dirt bike that I, or, or three-wheeler that we end up buying ourselves and ride out to my grandfather's farm and do the early morning milking. Um, it was just part of it. You didn't really know any other way of, of life. That's just the way you grew up. So it, it was great. Looking back on it, taught you a great work, work ethic. So no, no interest in being a farmer long-term. Uh, you know, I liked, I liked the farm. I like a lot of stuff about it. I hated milking cows. Um, so I, most of the time I offered to do it first thing in the morning. So I didn't have to do the afternoon. So I kind of got the worst part of the day out first. And so, uh, um, I could spend the afternoons working in the field or doing other stuff around the, the farm. But, uh, yeah, I was I, I didn't, I knew, I knew early on, I did not want to do that all my life. So. Mike, so you go to high school and now, hey, I'm not going to take over the family business and I'm going to go off to college. Tell us about that journey. Well, you know, growing up in a rural environment, I, I kind of had two options when I when I come out of high school. It was go to college or go to the military. My dad had been in the military during Vietnam. He had been a drill sergeant. Perfect job for his personality. Um but I had a aunt that was, I was the oldest grandchild in my family. And I had an aunt that was just three years older than me. And she was at Liberty University and she ended up getting me to go down and visit. And then I got accepted. And so I went to college. I thought if I go to college, I don't like it. I can, I can leave. If I go to the military, whatever I sign my name on, I'm, I'm there. And so I went to college. I did two years of ROTC while I was there. I probably should have contracted. I didn't. Um, but after the first semester, I didn't like it. But then I was like, if I leave, that means I have to quit. And I'm, I've never been one to really quit. I want to usually get pretty determined that I'm going to make it happen. I was paying my own way through. So I worked all through college, um, paid my own way, you know, took out loans and paid them back, you know, that's that's probably a novel concept today. Um, and um end up playing lacrosse for three years while I was there. Um met my wife, who I've been married to for over 30 years, uh, while in college. So all in all, it was a pretty good experience. 
can't say that I had great grades to come out of, you know, with a, a C average. Um, so I didn't, you know, like knock it out of the park, but uh, after cramming four years into five, I, I got my, I graduated and, you know, Hey, I had my degree and I had no intentions of ever going back. Mike, what was your major? Uh, business management. So you graduate the business management degree and where did you go to work after you had those five years under your belt? So during college, I worked in hotels and uh, restaurants. Uh, my last year of college, I was working almost full time. Um, and so that's why I figured I probably would get into that that type of thing. Uh, I ended up going to work for CVS um, at the time as an assistant store manager. And um, I spent three years there. And uh, it was a great place to get started in a career, especially for what I do now. Helped me to understand the retail environment. Um, didn't know it at the time. But um, after three years, I had been in five stores as an assistant manager and two stores as a store manager. Turns out I got I was pretty good at cleaning up stores that were a mess. But after doing that and just like all out for three years, I, I was like, I need to do something different. So, and then that, that's when I transferred in and, and started my first sales position, um, selling office machines. My brother had worked for a company down in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, where we went to school and, um, man, it was a hundred percent commission job. So that was a tough way to make a living. So, but it was, a um, uh, it was a good learning experience. Teaches you to hustle, teaches you to pick up the phone and dial for dollars. Dial and, and and then hit the road and just plain cold calls. So it turns out he had the uh, the better side of town with more businesses. I had a, the, all the small offices, small machines. So about after a year and a half of that, um, I was like, man, I need I need a dependable salary. This up and down and never knowing is, is not good. Uh, it's almost like being an entrepreneur. You never know what's coming in the door for sure. Uh, that would be uh no, we don't. <laughs> and you learn to love it, I guess. Yep. So you stayed there for a few years. What was the next journey? I, to get to get back to having a, a regular salary again, I I I joined another um retail uh chain called CT Farm and Country. It's kind of like today's tractor supply. And man, when I got back in there, I was like, why did I do this? I didn't like really like retail the first time. Every week I was working 70 hours a week. And plus, you know, never had any weekends off. So my wife worked full time and she she was off on the weekends. I never was. So we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time. So she calls me one day and says, hey, Mike, um, I just want you to know what you applied for. You applied at American Greetings for a area supervisor position. Um, so if you get a call, act like you know what what you applied for. I'm like, well, who's American Greetings? They sell greeting cards. I'm like, what? I'm like, here, I'm a farm. You know, I grew up on a farm. I like to hunt. I like to shoot, do stuff like that. And you want me to sell greeting cards? And she goes, yeah, you work out of your home. You have a territory. It has a company car. I'm like, sold. <laughs> so I said, if I get a call, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be happy to go do talk to them about that. So, um, after, you know, I, I, I actually, the day they were interviewing, they, they interviewed me and they wanted to come back in the next day. And I'm like, I can't work. And so 
ended up the guy that was hiring. He stopped by where I was working, talked to me. Long story short, that started a 14 and a half year, year career in the greeting card business. Well, tell us about that. So you, you, you start as a sales representative. Yep. I had a and territory in Virginia. Um, and you were assigned about eh, close to 100 retail chains. And you had merchandisers that would go in and work it. And so I did that for, it was almost three years to the day. And I'd won, you know, one of the, the top sales awards for that region. And so ended up after three years, I got promoted to moved inside uh, to the headquarters in Cleveland, Ohio. So we moved from Virginia up to Cleveland, Ohio, and I took over a telesales department. Again, another job I'd never done before. And so I worked for a guy who basically showed me where my desk was and here these 18 sales reps report to you. And oh, by the way, all but two of them are, are women. So at this point, I was still young in my career, probably a little rough around the edges. And so that was a learning experience, but it was a good learning experience. So I did that for a couple of years. And then um, the, the manager left and I took over the department just on a temporary basis, um, both parts of it. And when they posted the job for that to take over as the, the main guy, you know, sales were up. You know, we were having our best year and turns out the, the guy that was hiring, the VP, we had just started reporting to him, said, I want somebody with an NDA. I want to make this into a world-class telesales organization. And I'm like, what? Well, I'm doing the job. Sales are up. Expenses are down. Shouldn't that, shouldn't that account? Now I want somebody with an MBA. So... That was about 10 years into my career. And I was like, I never really thought about going back to school. And so I was like, I can't let that happen again. Within a couple of days, it was weird. I got this ad in the paper for an MBA program that was doing an open house the next week, literally right outside, you know, within a mile from my house. So I went to it and within a matter of a month or so, here I was sitting in my first MBA class. Never thought about it before. Graduated undergrad with a C average and uh, scared to death. Like, am I gonna am I gonna be able to maintain a B average? Because you had to maintain a B average. Well, you know this this is proves where some experience and if you're just flat determined to do something, you know I ended up graduating my MBA with honors and so I'm still pretty proud of that. Um, you know it that was a it took a lot of hard work. Because I was worked a full time career while I was doing it, so that, um, that was my question. So you you went back to school, but you're going to school while you're still working a full time yep. job. Can you tell our listeners, for any of specifically our younger listeners who are going, you know, I want to get some experience out there in industry and and doing whatever I might do, whether that's in management or sales or what what have you, and but they have thoughts of going back. What is the experience like in trying to balance both at the same time? No, it's tough. Um, you know, I've heard people doing it in two years. I took four years. I took one class a semester, three semesters a year, and went through it. Because, again, I was I had a full-time career. I was traveling. I had to try to take classes beginning of the week or on the weekend so I could travel during the week. Um and it was a tough road. But here's what I will say. If you go through college 
and didn't go right into grad school, you've learned a lot of stuff about, you know, what they say in books, but you have very little experience, real life experience. When you go through an MBA program, after you've had business experience, it makes all the difference. You can relate it to what you're, you know, what you're doing. So I would encourage anybody that is even thinking about it, do it, try it, take a class, see if it's for you. Um, studying was hard. And the other advice I, I have, you know, I was earlier in my career, um, you know, your, your means are probably not quite what they are, you know, 30 years into your career, but I, I wanted a certain handgun and it was an expensive one. And my wife and I agreed when you graduate with your MBA, um, you can buy that, that, that gun. And I did. Um, so I always had a goal out there. Like I want to get my degree. I want to graduate with honors and I want to be able to, to get this, uh, gift or a reward for myself at the end, set yourself a reward. You know, it could be a, it could be a trip somewhere you've never been, but set yourself a goal and then a reward when you actually achieve that goal. So, so Mike, you're, you're in school, you graduate with your MBA, you're still working for American greetings company. Mm -hmm. And there was, there was an event that caused that obviously you got passed up for a promotion mm -hmm. Did you stay with American Greetings after your MBA and did it, the outcome, be a promotion for you? Yes, yes. I I continued on there. It's funny. It lasted about two years and then I ended up getting the, the role that um, I was passed over for before. Um, that led into me taking over the distributor business that um, American Greetings had. Again, that was a type of business that the company as a whole didn't really understand a whole lot greeting card distributors because we were almost all selling to retailers. But um, over a course of three years, I doubled that business. Um, and while I was doing that, I started taking on some regional chains for account management, um, which led into national uh, account manager. Um, and that's where I was until I, I ended up leaving the company. Um, three out of the last five years I was there, I was able to win some of the top sales awards and get the trips and that, that's kind of stuff. So that was kind of neat. Um, a little bit of hardware sitting on a shelf at home. Um, but it's neat to have. Um, so it was good, but you know, at the end of the day, it was greeting cards and you know, it, it's a good business. It was a great company. I had a lot of great friends there, a lot of really good people. Um, but I really wanted to get into sporting goods. I mean, that's where my passion lay in, you know, doing something that kind of mixes your career with things you enjoy doing. I mean, that is, that's where it's at. What's the next transition then? If you, so, if you wanted to, to get into sporting goods from the greeting card business. Well, it turns out my brother uh, knew the net, uh, VP of sales um, at uh, Flambeau Outdoors. So I left American Greetings and joined Flambeau. And when I say he knew him, he my brother's a corporate headhunter and he he placed this guy in a couple of different roles throughout his career. So he didn't know him, know him, but he he knew him. You know, he worked with him in a in a work way. So I joined Flambeau and it was a, you know, it's a good company. They make some really good products. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for the company. Uh turns out. Me and the, the VP uh, didn't really see eye to eye. Our, 
our philosophies were a bit different and it wasn't a great working relationship. And at some point in your career, you're probably going to come across the path of somebody who, well, maybe you just don't get along right. You're, you weren't intended to work together. So, but I was like, okay, I'm in sporting goods. Let me make the best of this. So um, that part of the job was a little bit rocky, but um, I made a lot of good contacts. I worked well with my reps and, um, you know, I got some good advice from a guy that had been in, in the sporting good industry for many, many years uh, and was well-respecting because don't ever burn a bridge in this industry. It's a small industry. He goes, and if you make a good name for yourself, that's what you want to do. You'll, you'll probably never be out of work in your life. If you, if you do that, you might be in between, but if you make a good name for yourself in that industry, you'll, you'll do well. Um, a lot of good things come out of that. I would swear you and I met. We met on a hunt when I was at Flambeau uh, in, in Texas. So absolutely, which was, which was good. So long story short, you know, after about two years, we were doing sales and marketing uh, as a national sales manager there. Um, I had the whole perimeter of the country and Canada. The other sales manager had um, the Midwest and we got a new uh, president and he decided to make some changes and eliminated my position. So that's going to happen in your career too. At some point, you're probably gonna have a bump in the road like that. But you know, those kind of bumps in the road aren't something that that are really there to define you. If if you have a, something like that happen, learn from it. You know, you might take a day to to recover, but then say, okay, now I need to find it. You know, find what's next and uh, move on. Um, funny story is, you know, things were bumpy there, but you know, I had a good run at Flambeau. Um, our, we, we, we doubled our margin and one of our, our, uh, outdoor channels, we grew sales significantly in those two years. So, um, from a sales performance, we, we had a good run It's just sometimes you, you don't get along with those you're working for. Um, turns out fast forward a year, I'm, I'm at lodge, go to a trade show and, Five booths up is the Flambeau uh, booth and the president's there. And I thought he was a good guy, the new president. I walked up and he looked at me. And as soon as he saw me, he goes, Mike, let me, uh, I owe you an apology. I'm like, what for? He goes, I made a mistake. And I knew it about a week after I did it. He goes, that problem has been resolved. I said, don't worry about it, man. I, I landed at Lodge and, you know, it's a great company. So it worked out, worked out for everybody. So, um, you know. Always do the right thing, do the right thing, and 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 you won't have any regrets. Well, you know, and that's interesting because you're talking about being let go from a company. And I know that, you know, for most people that are hard charging, most people that are in high level positions, uh, you know, there's an ego involved. There's there's you know heartfelt strings there that get pulled on. But what you said there is. You know, you think about it for a day or two, but then, hey, I have contacts. I'm a good person. It's time to grab my bootstraps, if you will, and move on. And yep. uh, and and that's what you did. And I've talked to so many people. Hey, I was fired from a company and, and uh, landed on my feet. And you and so many other people that we have contact with. And so it's specifically for, you know, our listeners that might be earlier in their careers that, if this happens to you, you don't fold tent and run. No, 
you actually use it as a, an opportunity. Now, I, I always compare it um, to what well, if you've always done the right thing, that's a good thing. But I compare it to, hey, it's a sunk cost. Whatever happened, happened. You can't change history. You can only impact the future. So if you have a bad thing that's happened to you, you know, hey, you know, look at it, learn from it and move on because fretting over it and getting upset about it is not going to do anything but hurt you. It ain't going to hurt. It ain't going to hurt anybody else. Nobody's going to care is how you react. So. Did you know that America's original manufacturer of canoe and kayak stabilizers was recently featured on Fox and Friends? Spring Creek Manufacturing was recognized on Fox News for being a leader in the made in the USA industry for their top quality truck racks, the world's best camp saw, and their assortment of water sports equipment, including stabilizers for canoes, kayaks, and stand-up paddle boards, as well as their canoe seats and motor mounts. Enjoy an exclusive 15% off Yes, 15% off your next online order at springcreek.com with the code LEADER15, that is L-E-A-D-E-R-1-5. Exclusions apply. Now, back to the podcast. So you land on your feet at Lodge and tell us what that transition was like and then tell us from day one, to today, what what that has all looked like for you at Lodge. And first of all, tell our listeners who may not know what Lodge is about, tell them about the company because it's awesome. Oh, Lodge is a um, hundred, we're now in one, year 127. Um, we make cast iron cookware um, in the United States, in, in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. And uh, so, and we are in all types of retail. Uh, not too hard to find uh, out there in the retail market. So, um, yeah, it's a great company. And we can we can chat a little more about that and kind of do the history uh, uh, in a little bit if you if you want. But I'll address your other question. Uh, How did I end up at Lodge? Well, funny story. So I'm in between jobs. I had a couple other opportunities to come out and I just didn't didn't feel right. So one morning on Monday, I'm sitting there on the, looking at my computer and, you know, getting ready as I'm as I'm looking for other opportunities, phone rings. And it's the VP of sales and the VP of HR. And they're like, hey, this is, uh, you know, Lodge Lodge Manufacturing. Um, you got a few minutes. And I'm like, Lodge, who's Lodge? To this day, I don't remember applying. Apparently, I did. <laughs> um, so we chat and we talk for, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes. And they're like, hey, you come in tomorrow for an interview. And, you know, I'd looked up who they are, so, uh, you know, while they're on the phone. And um, I'm like, I kind of paused for a second. Like, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. And they're like, oh, yeah, just buy a ticket. And we'll reimburse you. Just come on down. And, you know, we'll meet. I was like, tomorrow or Wednesday? Uh, either one. Whatever you can get. So so I, I book a ticket. And Wednesday, I'm down here interviewing. So we're, we're chatting. And we have a good 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 interview and, you know, go to lunch with them. And, you know, then I'm going to, then I'm going to head back. Oh, you'll probably hear from us in another week or two. You know, two days later, I get a phone call. Hey, you want to come back down next week? Well, I had an interview in Milwaukee. So I said, how about later in the week? So the following Thursday, I'm back down here again. And I'm interviewing with the whole senior uh, management team. 
all in a big room and we're talking and we're laughing and it was, it was a great experience. Long story short, I, you know, I, I landed the job and, um, you know, the rest has been what I would say history. My question for you, as you're talking there, you just said lodge manufacturing, but I always called it and I still do. I just can't get over lodge logic. Yep. That was, that was one of our, that was one of our names when we started, um, pre-seasoning, they called it the logic line. And that has kind of went away. You know, if you look us up on online, it's, um, lodge cast iron. Um, and we've kind of went to that, but our still official incorporated name is lodge manufacturing. And part of that is, you know, for years we were, we, and we still are a manufacturing company, but as you grow and you put more marketing in being known as lodge cast iron is really, um, how people really know us so this is 2014 this is 14 yep and what do you come in doing so i mean holy so, cow this is nine years already yeah well we had uh the the then um national sales manager for sporting goods was retiring and they were looking for his replacement so uh, i come in and run the sporting good division and it's a smaller division uh within lodge um and so I accept it and I come in and I'm running it. And after a number of months have passed and, you know, things are going good and sales are growing, I find that I could be doing a whole lot more because I've managed a whole lot more volume in my career than, than what I, I was at Lodge. And so um, I continued to do that for about a year, year and a half. Um, and then we started looking at other things, other things you can take on and, and add, you know, you don't want to add too quick. You want to prove yourself and do, do a good job. So they came to me and said, Hey, you want to get involved in, we need some help on international. I've never done anything with international. So we started doing a little bit with international and that started, you went on for a number of months. And then the VP of sales, who was older, um, announced he was retiring and he hey, be careful, be careful when you start talking about being older. Well, you know, <laughs> Uh, that, that's something you and I both are probably going to be looking at in the next, you know, 10, 15 years max, um, be heading into that, that portion of our lives, but he was going to retire and he, he actually ran the Walmart business himself. Um, so they came to me and said, Hey Mike, we would like you to manage our Walmart business in addition to running your division, um, in sporting goods. Um, Sporting goods is where my passion is. You know, I don't really ever want to get away from that. So for the next five years, I managed the Walmart business and sporting goods um, for Lodge. Now, uh, I had a lot of success in that. So uh, a little over a year ago, um, I was able to, throughout all throughout the time that I had it, um, raise the sales at Walmart by 50% and over 50% more spots at retail. In the meantime, it doubled the sales of our sporting good business. And it got to a point where Walmart needed somebody's full-time attention. It's hard to run a, a, a sporting good division with 40 sales reps out, you know, throughout the country. Granted, the third-party sales reps, but they're still, your phone's still ringing, just as if they worked directly for you. Um, and I didn't want to get away from, you know, get away from the sporting goods area. So, um we split off Walmart. We hired somebody directly to manage that business specifically. 
And I took on two other sales managers and the hardware. Uh, I had part of farm and home in sporting goods. And some of it was in under the, the hardware uh, manager and then food service reports to me as well. We have a merchandiser out there that does some stuff and, and travels the country and some sales support people. So my role changed a bit about a year and a half ago. Um, and I will tell you, I absolutely love what I'm doing now. I find the people in sporting goods and hardware just great, genuine people. Uh, you know, there's some ego. You talk, you mentioned brought up ego a little while ago. You know, you're sitting in a in a room at a Walmart growth forum and you're like, man, I'm, I'm sitting here with the best, you know, every company has to offer, you know, with all the manufacturers or all the suppliers in, you know, basically the world. And you think, man, this is great. But it was a great learning experience. I enjoyed enjoyed doing it. But the you know, the sporting goods and uh, it's just a, a good area to be in. So that's where your passion fits. That's that's where that's where it's at. So, Mike, can you explain something for our listeners? So you sell to us, Duluth Pack. We have one yeah. brick and mortar flagship store. We're we're a fly in the the uh, company picnic potato salad. Mm -hmm. And then you have this behemoth called Walmart. How do you handle those two accounts differently? How do how just how does that work within Lodge? Because you have a behemoth and then you have this little who? Who's out there? Who is that that's selling our stuff up there in north of the Arctic Circle? Well, Tom, I'll tell you one thing. You know, when you come from a humble background and you've worked your way up from the beginning, um, honestly, if you treat everybody honestly and you maintain your integrity, it doesn't matter whether you're you're dealing with uh, a small dealer or if you're dealing with Walmart. Um, just deal with them honestly, do the right thing. You know, my boss has a saying and I, and, and I've always lived by this, just do the next right thing. And, you know, if you do what's right for your customers, um, it, everything else will fall in line. Um, I'm, I'm blessed to work for a small private company that doesn't have to worry about the next quarter. You can do the right thing for both your consumers and for your, you know, for your company um by you know doing for the long term versus the short term gain you know i i've worked for a large public company and i'm telling you at the end of every year you knew certain things were going to happen uh just to make the the numbers um for the quarter and um it's great working for a private company so well hallelujah and you know Small private companies are really, uh, and maybe I'm just pontificating here, but that, that make the engine of, of United States. And you're right. Talk to somebody who's in a senior role at another American made company is pretty fun for me today doing this. So, yep. but tell us about what are the lines? Tell us the verticals that you have within Lodge that you sell into. And, and it seems like the second part of that question would be, like cast iron cookie has just made a, a real upheaval that that uh, people are really embracing it. And it's a whole new way of of cooking that uh, isn't considered old school anymore, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a new old way of cooking. Right. Um, yeah. We sell a lot. Lodge is interesting. We sell basically for for many years, we sold the same skillet to um 
you know, a hardware store as we sold to Walmart, as we sold to Williams Sonoma, whatever it might be, it's the same skillet. Um, and um, now we have different hierarchies of, of brands. We have um, we have our standard lodge, which is the bread and butter. It's the bulk of what we do. We have a chef collection line, which is gourmet um, focused. We have our black lock line, which is a lighter weight, triple season that goes through our seasoning process three times. So it's more like grandma skillet coming out of the box. Um, so it has a lot of seasoning on it. And then we have our Finex brand, which is our luxury brand, um, which is that $220 skillet that, uh, you know, when you, when you set it on the stove, it looks great. You go to a potluck. Um, that's the one you take because it looks really impressive. Um, but, uh, so we have, you know, something for everybody now, which is, which is different than it was just eight years ago. What the heck is seasoning of a pan? What's that mean? That that's simple. It, it it sounds. It's not putting salt and pepper on your uh, skillet. It's a, uh, you know, cast iron by itself is gray. When you make cast iron, it's gray. And before two thousand and two, that's how we sold it all. We covered it in beeswax and you know sold it. Um, you had to bread take it home and you had to put oil on it and put it in the oven and and bake it. And you know, in two thousand and two, we were able to figure it out how to pre season it. Um, and you know, once you season it and run it through the oven, the ovens are 750 plus degrees. It turns in there and takes that oil, uh, vegetable oil, and turns it from, you know, the color of cooking oil into the black pantina that's on the skillets today. So there's no coating on a cast iron skillet or a lodge cast iron skillet. It is baked on oil. That is it. So there's nothing funky to come off in your food. Uh, it's just iron oil. So it's very healthy way of, of cooking. So is that oil then, is it burned on there? Is it's burnt what? on there, yes. But it's there to now, stay. And I'll tell you a little example. So we have our luxury line of Finex, and it's brown. We have the regular lodge that is black. Black is, the black ones are baked at a higher temperature. So when these luxury lines come out, there's a number of them out there, and they're all brown. The reason they're brown is because they can't get the oil to the temperature that we can in our commercial ovens that we do through our proprietary process. So um, that's why they're brown. If oil's hanging on a skillet and there's a little drip, that can sometimes not be totally black. Some people think it's rust. It's not rust. It's just the oil didn't turn all the way over to um, black. So it goes through a process. Like if you do it in your stove, it's going to be more of a brown than it would be a black so mike i i find at a rummage sale an old cast iron lodge of course skillet rusted how do i bring it back to life well i i would tell the easiest way if you wanted to go go on our website and there's step-by-step instructions but you you can you can strip it all off you can strip that old seasoning and that rust off you can use steel wool or whatever you have to clean it up um, sometimes people will strip them in their, uh, self-cleaning oven. They'll put it in there and, and strip it that way. And then you put oil back on it, um, coat it good, wipe it down. So it's not like dripping, put it in your oven, bake it for an hour, hour and a half, but make sure you have a, like a cookie sheet under it to catch any oil drips. Cause you don't want to cause a fire, uh, in your oven. But, uh, 
there's step-by-step instructions on our website on how exactly how to do that. And you know what? Perfect time to tell everyone how they can find you on your website, Mike, on all your different social mediums. Um, you can go on to uh, www.lodgecastiron.com and that will take you there. And we have all kinds of resources um, there that you can use. There's our products. There's videos on how to clean, how to season it, how to cook certain things is on there. And then we have recipes on there, the, tons of recipes. You know, you get your cast iron, like, what can I cook in it? Go on our website. And, you know, that'll keep you cooking for the next few months, um, every meal, <laughs> and try something different. Mike, what makes Lodge Cast Iron different from other cast iron companies out there for cookware? Well, first of all, Lodge is made in the United States. And we use three ingredients. There's pig iron, there's steel, and there's our own remelt. And when I say remelt, it's anything that doesn't pass the test. Um, we remelt anything, all the channels that, you know, we we make cast iron in a sand mold. So to fill a sand mold, you got to have a channel. And that channel has to fill completely full to the top. So it fills out the mold. All that channeling is remelted. We don't have any waste. Um, it all is just, it's, it's a sand mold. And we can remelt any iron that doesn't, doesn't make the cut. Um we make it all in electric induction. So we know we can get it up to uh, 2,800 degrees and get all the impurities pulled out of it. So you got pure iron. We test every every batch for uh, to make sure it's exactly right. So we have consistency, we have quality. And you know, and you ask, why is that important? Why do you want to get all the impurities out? Well, you don't want anything what they call slag or weight, weight iron in there because it can cause a hot spot, a cool spot in your cast iron. And when you're cooking, the whole reason you want to cook with cast iron is even heat distribution. So you get an even cook. Imagine you have a nice, nice big steak and you have it laying out on this cast iron pan and you have a cool spot. But you have a spot that isn't either going to be not done enough or if it's a hot spot, it's going to be overdone. I want a nice even cook throughout my whole steak. I don't want, you know, you don't want it just hot and cool spot. So that's why you're cooking cast iron. Mike, what are the best sellers that you have? Um, are not every year it's either the 12 inch skillet or the 10 and a quarter inch skillet. So some people come to me and say, Hey, Mike, what you know, I, I don't I don't cook in cast iron. And so I look at them kind of strange. But after that, then I say, Well, the first thing you you want to buy is a 12 inch skillet or a 10 and a quarter. You buy a 12 inch skillet and you could cook almost every single thing you could ever dream of in there. You can fry an egg, you can cook your bacon. If you've never made a steak in a cast iron, you haven't ate a good steak, probably. Um, you can you can cook your cinnamon rolls in it. You can make brownies in it. You can make pizza in it. Whatever you want to make, you can make it in your 12-inch cast iron uh, skillet. Um, we prefer if you buy a little bit of everything. But, uh, the, I mean, if you had a one-size-fits-all, that, that would be my item. If I, you know, had to cook on one item the rest of my life, I'd put, take my 12-inch skillet. Mike? Tell us about cleaning up. So I just made that steak that you're talking about mm -hmm. that, that I've been hearing more and more and more of people saying, oh, yeah, you think a grilled steak is good? No. Wait till you cook it on cast iron and you're going to talk about a good steak. Okay. Now I've boogered up this whole pan and I got to clean this can this pan up. Just stick it in the dishwasher or stick it in a bunch of uh, Dawn dishwashing liquid and let it soak overnight. What do I do? First of all, I'm going to say no to that. But 
secondly, if you cook it right, you may not have a whole lot of cleanup to do. So there's something I want you to remember when you cook with cast iron. Um, it's called heat the pan, heat the fat, heat the food. So go ahead and say that with me. Heat the pan. Heat the pan. Heat the fat. Heat the food. Heat the fat. Heat the food. So okay. So if you do that, and what we start, don't 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 heat the pan at at high. Keep it on medium. Put it on there. Get it cooking. Get 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 hot. Then put your butter, your oil, whatever you're cooking in, and then cook whatever it is. Cook that steak. Cook that steak in your cast iron on your grill at about 650 degrees. That you'll get a great sear. And you'll get the wood fire, uh, the flavor of the smoke. But do it on uh, in your cast iron. You get the full sear over the whole thing. It's awesome. So you come and you ask about cleaning it. Well, the jury's out. Some people like soap and you're never going to get them not to do it. You can use soap on cast iron. I don't recommend it. And here's why. We'll go back to, we said the seasoning is oil that's burnt on. What's soap do? Soap breaks down fat. And that's what oil is that's on your seasoning. So it will work on taking some of your seasoning off your cast iron over a long period of time of using soap. I don't use any soap on it. So you use hot water. I clean it off. If I need to use a scraper, a chainmail scrubber, but whatever it might be, you can use whatever you're, you're using to clean it. Clean it off, dry it. I put mine back on the stove to heat it up um, because it accepts oil better. So when it gets pretty warm again, I'll put a few drips or or spray some canola oil in it, wipe it with a paper towel to coat it all, leave it cool, and that's all there is to it. They're real. It's really it's really easy. Now, if you've grown up and you always have to use soap, I guess use some soap, but you certainly don't have to. The cast iron purists don't use soap. Mike, how do we how do we handle it? Do you have accessories so that I don't burn my hand when I'm? Oh, we got all kinds of accessories. We have we have trivets that you can use. We have hot handle holders for basically everything we sell. Um, you know, find whichever one you like the best and use it. Um, we have all the accessories for cleaning it, uh, for any type of care um, that you have. Uh, certainly can can do that. So. Mike, why is it so important, and you've emphasized this, for lodge cast iron, lodge manufacturing, to be made in the good old U.S. of A.? Well, you know, probably one, I mean, first of all, you know what goes into it. Um, so you know you know that it's safe to cook on. There's no, no, you know, we're not putting anything into our iron or anything on our iron that you don't want in your food. A lot of, the, a lot of cook where you get, you know, you ever have a, a nonstick pan and you you find little bits starting to chip off of the finish? Where does that go in your food? You don't have that. But probably one of the more important things is we have about 550. Sometimes it averages gets up as high as 600. It was a little higher than that during the pandemic. But there's a lot of families that depend on lodge cast iron. So we have about 500, 600 families that depend on lodge cast iron. It helps them pay their car bill. It helps them pay their 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 mortgage and puts their kids through school. Um, and it's important to do that. You know, the town we're we're in is not a uh, you know it's 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 a it's a lower income uh, county and lodge supports a lot of families and we give back 
to our community every year. And, and where is your community? We are in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Um, that's where Joseph Lodge started us in 1896. We're in the same, we're in the same town. And uh, it is, it falls between Chattanooga and Nashville. Um, it's about 30 minutes outside of Chattanooga heading toward Nashville. So if you're ever driving from Chattanooga to Nashville or vice versa, stop by and see us. We have a museum and a restaurant, factory store and everything right here. Right in the Smokies. Well, no, the Smokies are a little. Now, it, we have two factory stores up in the Smokies um, around. Uh, we have one in Sevierville and one in Pigeon Forge. So we have two stores up there. So we only have four in total. So, so Mike, I'm driving home from Florida the last weekend of April. Mm -hmm. And I'm between Chattanooga and Nashville. And I start seeing all these signs and it says, cornbread festival yep tell us about in fact folks i called mike i'm like what's going on with this cornbread festival and mike's like stop on by it's like i'm getting home sorry <laughs> <laughs> so the cornbread festival is the last weekend in april last full weekend in april every year and um basically shut down the whole town and typically on a a saturday i know they had to close down the exit for a while this year um you'll get 25 to 30,000 people visiting a town that is normally 3,000 people. We give tours of our foundry during that time. Um, they have all types of arts and crafts. We have a big cook-off that Lodge sponsors. Um, they do, they do. you know, people submit from all around the country recipes. We pick uh, a number of them and they come in and then they compete on a time thing, making a recipe and judge. And there's, you know, there's a nice prize for it. And then bragging rights. Um, you know, there's all kinds of activities. It's it's a pretty neat event. It's a it's a big fundraiser for the town. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw those billboards. I was like, holy catfish! I got to give old Mike Fisher a call. Yeah. So, Mike, we're gonna pivot a little bit here. We're okay. not gonna talk about Lodge for the next couple minutes. Certainly. We'll come back back to that. But we're gonna go to what we call our packed questions segment. We're just gonna find out a little bit more about Mike Fisher. Okay. What's your favorite hobby outside of work? I have a number of hobbies that I enjoy doing. Um, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I like to hunt. I like to shoot. Um, those are a big, big part of my life. I, I enjoyed that and get to do that with my family. My wife and I enjoy doing a lot of hiking. I mean, I've lifted weights for years. I love to cook, uh, obviously, um, especially since I'm working for a cookware company. It helps when you actually know how to use the, use the stuff. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier, grew up serving in our local church and I continue to do that today. So kind of a way to give back. Awesome. Mike, what's your biggest fear? I don't know. I don't really live in a lot of fears. Um, you know, I, I try my best to be a good dad, a good husband. Um, don't want to let them down. Uh, my wife and two daughters, probably the three most important people in my life. So uh, other than that, I don't really have a, a whole lot of things I'm a, I worry about, afraid of. So, Ooh, you must like those snakes that we hear from everyone when we do ask that question. Yeah. Uh, fa favorite place you've ever traveled? Oh, man, I, I, I travel a number of places I like. I like going to the beach and I like going to the mountains. Um, my wife's from Naples, Florida, 
been there many times, got to, to go to a number of Caribbean islands, I think is great. I've went to Newfoundland, Canada twice. Um, so it's beautiful up there. If you've never had an opportunity to go there, I'd, I'd highly recommend going there. Uh, if you like nature, um, if you're looking for a beach, it's probably not your place to go. Um, we vacation frequently in Estes Park, uh, Colorado. Um, great place to hike, view animals, and just be out in nature because, you know, we all we all live a hectic life and fast-paced life. And um, sometimes it's just a, nice to turn off the phone and get out in the mountains and, and enjoy nature. Favorite band, Mike? Man, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big music guy. I grew up on classic rock. I enjoy that. Um, lately, because I have teenage daughters, been to a number of Toby Mac concerts, which ironically is strange because he was starting out at, when he was starting out, he was at Liberty University, same time I was, didn't know the guy, but um, I remember him being there. So we, now my daughters, you know, 30 years later, think that's really cool. Um, and I like Trans-Siberian Orchestra at Christmas time. It's a great concert. If you've never been, it's it's worth worth the money to go. And Mike, best piece of life advice that you have ever received? I don't know if this is necessarily life or this uh, advice that somebody gave me, or is this something I've discovered? You know, try to live your life with reg without regrets. Um, you know, and you can do that by doing the right thing. Um, you know, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, so. Um, Keep doing the next right thing, and I think you'll uh, you'll have a pretty good life. Great advice, Mike. And Mike, give us the website and the social handles once again for Lodge Manufacturing. Um, www.lodgecastiron.com, and then you can look us up. Uh, look up Lodge Cast Iron on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I think we do some stuff on TikTok as well. Um, but there's there's lots of Lots of material out there that we we put out. So awesome. And folks, our special guest today is a friend of mine, Mike Fisher, National Sales Manager for Lodge Manufacturing. Yes, the cookware company. And we should all learn to cook a little bit more with cast iron. Mike, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, you're welcome. It was It was great being here. Great to learn about your career and, and where you are now with Lodge, a great American company, and all the great things that you're doing there, and all the best in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And folks, until next time, unplug from the indoors and recharge in the outdoors. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leader of the Pack. Don't forget to rate this podcast, and we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack. And shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American jobs and buy American made.